Uh, we've been in a study in the, the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2 again tonight, so go ahead and get your Bibles out there. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to, I think, pick up in verse 19. Yeah, that's the one. I know what's going on. Verse 19. So go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. And I, I've just got a couple of questions to get us started. How many of you uh, have siblings? At, at least one sibling. How many of you are an only child? Any one? All right. The man in the back there. Good job. All right. So you, but you know people, you know people with lots of, lots of siblings and multiple siblings. How many of you have more than one brother or sister? Okay. How many of you have always gotten along wonderful with your sibling or siblings? She says yes, but you say no. Okay, I don't know how that works. I don't know. I have to talk about that afterwards because it's no longer true as of tonight. Um, how many of you get along better now as adults than you did when you were kids? Right? Some, some of you. <laughs> some of you don't still, and that's okay. Some, some of it you set that pattern early and you just stick with it and hold on for life. So I'm, I'm one of four boys. My brothers and I, we, we, we got along okay sometimes. And other times we, we scrapped it out like, you know, like men, like, cra- <laughs> like crazy little men. We, we, were, we were nuts there for a time, you know. And my oldest brother is, is five years older than me, and, and so he was always alpha male, you know, of, of the pack. It was, uh, it was good memories, right, getting beat up by your older brothers. So how do you think your parents would want you to get along? Obviously good. Not, not just because it's annoying when your kids fight. So I can, I can speak from experience as a parent. Man, if my kids would, would just care about each other more than themselves every once in a while, man, that would do my heart good. Right? That, that would be something really, really, really important to me. It's annoying when my kids fight. I, I'm not going to deny that. It's a pain, but, but what really pains me is, is that, well, they're still very immature, right? And, and it's okay for a seven-year-old to act like a seven-year-old. It's not okay for a seven-year-old to act like a four-year-old. That, that says I'm not doing my job parenting, right? I've got some work to do. And so tonight, we're going to see a couple of examples of Paul's family, Paul's spiritual family. And we've seen some examples in, in the earlier sections of chapter 2, and uh, we've, we've seen, uh, actually back in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, should, should pop up on the screen, it says, Only let your conversation or your lifestyle, the things that you do, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. That's not the same as fighting against each other. Striving together is fighting together, fighting for the same things. And he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen. So Paul's, Paul's kind of like the dad for this church. He, he was there when this church started. He was there sharing the gospel. These, these individuals got saved. This church started. They saw Paul get thrown into jail and beat up. And, and so Paul is their spiritual father. And so he's checking in with this letter and saying, man, what I want to see, what I want to keep hearing is that that you guys love each other, that you're unified, that you're together, and you choose to do it because I'm not there even making you do it anymore. I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not giving you the rules. You just, 
You just care about each other more than you care about yourselves. And we saw that again in Philippians chapter 2 at the beginning, uh, starting in verse 2, it says, Fulfill ye my joy. Man, I can say as a parent, that would be an incredible joy if my kids just continually always put each other first. That, that would really do my heart well. He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. See, he said, strive together for the gospel. Don't strive against each other. Don't, don't fight for your own vainglory. And here's the kicker, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The only way you're going to pull off this unity, the only way you're going to be able to be of one mind and one heart, unified together, is if you say, you are more important than me. And if you say, you are more important than me, and and we all say the same thing, and we're not focused on ourselves, we're focused on others, then, and only then, through that humility, are we going to be able to, to be and stay unified. He says in verse 4, look not every man on his own things. Don't worry about your own cares, but every man also on the things of others. Somebody else struggling? Have you seen it? You've seen it because God wants you to help out. He wants you to serve. He wants you to help somebody else. And, and don't worry about your stuff because somebody else will see that and they'll help you out. That's, that's the way the family of God's supposed to work. So last week, Nick, where's Nick? Nick shared his his story, his testimony from Malawi and some cool pictures and all that stuff, and I didn't get to, didn't get to be here. I appreciate you stepping in. Two weeks before that, we were uh, in the beginning of chapter two, and then the week after was uh, the second part of that. And what we've seen is, you know, we saw the example from Christ himself, right? Paul says, look, I want you guys to get together. I want you guys to get along. I want you to be one and unified, and I want you to humble yourselves. The example, the perfect example is Christ. Right? He was in the, the, the position of absolute authority. He was sitting on the right hand of God. He left heaven, came down here, and humbled himself. Not only coming here he, did he humble himself, he, he humbled himself by giving his life. And he gave his life as though he were a criminal. But he wasn't. He was perfect. Right? He subjected himself. And so we saw the perfect example, and then we've seen also that, that we're supposed to have the mind of a servant. And when we get the mind of a servant, we get the attitude of a servant, and we start taking the form of a servant, and we start doing the things that, that a servant would do. And so sometimes it's, it's really easy to get and pick up and go and say, okay, this is exactly what I need to do, and sometimes we need specific examples. And, and tonight we're going to see basically what your title says is a servant's examples. Right? Paul has three different individuals, himself included in that grouping, uh, that are great examples of this servant attitude. And so we'll get into the, the passage, picking up in verse 19. Uh, we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll get into your study sheet. And if you didn't grab a study sheet, they're just on these little tables. There's some pens there as well. Uh, you can help yourself. Uh, beginning in verse 19, Philippians chapter 2, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. That's a pretty cool name, right? Timothy's cool, but Timotheus just sounds a little tougher. Or maybe not. Shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Right? He wants to know the status of how they're doing. If you remember when we started this study, he started this church and had to quickly leave because of the pressures and, and the situation that was going on. So he wants to know their state. Verse 20 says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, 
But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I, I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now that's a cool name right there, right? I know some ladies, like, they plan their weddings years ahead. They know how many kids they're going to have. And maybe that's a cool name for your kid. Probably not, right? You call him Raph. What would you call call him for short? Frodo? (laughs) He won't get beat up at all. Don't call, him, don't call him Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get into the the sheet here in just a moment. Lord, thank you uh, for your word as always. uh, We're humbled that, that you've preserved this, that you've given us, uh, specific instruction, you, you've made your word perfect. You've preserved it for us. You've given us instruction. You've given us the directions that we need. And all we need to do is listen and take heed. We need to start uh, aligning our lives to what you have to say. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help us tonight, that you would speak, that your spirit would move in and through this room in us, and uh, that you would be pleased by this, this time that we spend in your word. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... Here's the story, basically what's going on. Paul is letting the church know that he has a desire to send his son in the faith, Timothy. Right? We see that in verse 9. He says, I trust to send Timothy. He's, he's trusting God. He doesn't know that this is going to happen. He's, he's not saying, I know for a fact this is going to happen. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm trusting God for. I'm, I'm placing some faith in this, this desire. I've asked God to be able to send Timothy. He was going to send Timothy because he wasn't sure what was going on with his own status. If you remember, he was in in prison in Rome writing this letter to check up on uh, the believers in Philippi. And he didn't know if he was going to be able to get out. He wanted to get out and go himself. We see that in verse 24. He says the same words. I trust in the Lord that I'm going to get to come. Right? And so Paul trusted that he was going to go. If not that, he, he thought Timothy could go. But for some reason or other, that wasn't the case. So he sends old Frodo. Is that, yeah, we're going to just call him Frodo. <laughs> he sends Epaphroditus instead. Right? And he's actually the one that delivered this letter that we're reading. Right? And so there, he's, he hands them the letter. They read the letter and look up. Oh, this is the guy. We're supposed to show this guy some respect. Right? Uh, he's actually the one that delivered the letter. And so what we see in the end of this chapter is that by coming to Paul with a report of the church's well-being and a delivery of supplies, somehow along that, that trip, he became ill, right? And, and he almost died to bring a message to Paul. For the cause of, you know, delivering supplies and a message to Paul, he's, he's putting his life on the line. We don't know. It doesn't specify, you know, if it was just bad weather, if it was a shipwreck, if, if he got beat up on the road. Nobody, nobody really knows, but 
for some reason, for the cause of the gospel, to, to re- reassure and reinforce and support Paul, he puts his life on the line. And so Paul decides to, to carefully, he said with much care, to send him back to encourage the believers and to deliver this message from himself. So Paul wanted to send his son in the faith, but actually sends his brother in the faith. And so what we're going to see tonight is what the family of God is all about, and, and why would Paul choose these two guys to send since he couldn't go himself. So first of all, we're going to look at Timothy, and we're just going to look at some of the, the, the spiritual qualifications, the, the character qualities that Paul points out as to why he would send them. So first of all, it's, it's Timothy, and the, the example we see here is, is spiritual fatherhood. Right? And it's a clear example of discipleship. The things that Paul says, the reasons he gives that he's confident in sending Timothy is because Timothy is a little Paul. Right? Timothy would say the same things Paul would say. Timothy would teach the same things Paul would teach. Timothy knows all of those things because he's been trained and discipled by Paul. First of all, the first thing he says is that he's like-minded. If you remember, this is, this is what Paul wanted the believers in Philippi to be. He, I want you to be like-minded with one another. I want you to be like-minded with me, because if we're all unified in agreement with Christ, man, we're all on the same page. Romans 15.5 says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. So if we look at that, that verse, it says, The God of patience and consolation. How do you get patience? It's not free, and it doesn't come quickly, right? It comes through trials. It comes through struggles. It comes through a lot of time, right? Patience doesn't just happen. So the God of patience is going to help you be like-minded if, if you deal with some stuff, right? The other word is consolation, the God of patience and consolation. What do you need consolation for? It's, the base word is to console, Right? The God of comfort or the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded. Well, trials and difficulty and time, that's what helps you to be like-minded. Right? If everything just always goes your way, you're probably more about you than you are about other people. That's just how we are. God allows life circumstances and difficult things to happen to stretch us a little bit, to get us to realize, man, it's this doesn't really revolve around me. This isn't all about me. This is about others. This is about the Lord. Romans twelve sixteen says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. This word condescend, normally, you know, if, we're, we're, you know, if I say, Brock, quit being condescending to me. You know, you just think you're better than me. You sit up there high in the bus and, Look, look, look down at all the people. You're very condescending. Normally, normally that's a negative thing, right? Well, this, that, that's condescending toward people. Condescending to is coming down to their level, right? The Lord condescended from heaven and came down and, and lowered himself for our benefit. That's what he's talking about here. It's, it's not... The normal usage that we hear of this word, this isn't about talking down to someone or thinking you're better than someone. It's, it's the opposite. It's coming down to their, their level. It's, it's lowering yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. 
live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Right? It, it takes work, it takes sacrifice to live in peace. Pride, uh, the Proverbs tells us that only by contention, that, that's where pride, or, or contention comes only by pride, right? The, the only reason that we have contention in our lives is because we have pride in our lives. Because we don't want to give, and we don't want to compromise, and we don't have to, we don't, we don't want to give in any. We want others to give in so we can have ours. The second thing that he says about Timothy is that he's proven. Right? In 2 uh, Corinthians 8.24, it says, Wherefore show ye to them, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. The reason I put this verse in here is because the, the entire book of 2 Corinthians is proof that, that the church at Corinth got the first letter and they took heed to the first letter. Because Paul says, man, instead of beating you up and using you as a bad example everywhere I go, you're actually the opposite. I go around and I boast about how you've responded to a hard letter that I sent at the beginning. He says, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. 2 Timothy 4, 5. This is instruction to Timothy from Paul. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Right? Paul said, he, he is proven, but he's given him instruction. Look, you're going to have to prove it your entire ministry. The way you prove it is by enduring difficult things. The way you prove it is by hard work in the gospel, right? Stick with the stuff. Keep working. Keep at it. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, we have an opportunity to prove to the world that God is real, that, that Christ is alive, that this Bible thing actually works, that, that there is a such thing as a relationship with Christ. We get a chance to prove that. And the way we do it is by renewing our mind. And when we renew our mind with the truth of the word of God, he transforms the inside of us. And all we've got to do is just walk in agreement. And we stand out against this world. We are walking proof that he is real. The third thing, and we've already kind of seen this, is, is that Timothy is his son. Now, he's not his physical son. He's, he's his spiritual son. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you've got all kinds of people telling you what the Bible says, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So not many in this instance equals one. Right? He's saying, you've got thousands of people telling you what to do and what to believe, but you have one spiritual father, one person that led you to the Lord. John 3.3 tells us, you know, that it's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a spiritual birth that he's talking about. Right? And a spiritual father, in a sense, other, other than God the Father, would be the one who gave you the instruction and gave you the understanding of what God is talking about in, in being born again. Someone who leads you to Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. So he's, he sent Timothy to the Corinthian church before. He says, He is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. 
He's full of faith. Who, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Right? So again, this is, Timothy is a, a, a mini Paul. He's going he's gonna to teach them exactly what Paul taught them. He's going to remind them of the things that, that Paul already taught them because he knows, because he's, he's been with Paul. He's, he's followed him in his ministry. 1 Timothy 1.2 says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Uh, verse 18 of the same chapter, it says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. So Paul refers to him over and over and over as his own son. And it's interesting, that we, we don't necessarily know if Timothy did or didn't have a father present, but you know, it, it kind of looks like maybe he wasn't there because he says, man, you've, you've known the scriptures since you were young. It, it's because you were taught by your mom and your grandma. So if dad was around, he wasn't the one teaching Timothy how to be a man, a man of God anyways, right? So it might make sense that, man, Paul comes along and, and Timothy just sticks to his side. I'm, I'm going to follow this guy everywhere he goes, and, and he's my dad in the faith, and I'm his son in the faith, and it's a pretty awesome relationship and it's an incredible picture of discipleship and then the last thing that he says about timothy is that he's a servant he's he calls him a servant uh, later in in this book in uh, chapter four we're going to get in uh into that later obviously uh, chapter four verse three it says i entreat thee also true yoke fellow there's a fancy word for you Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement and with, my, with other, my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. This, this word yoke fellow and the word labor and fellow laborers, these are all directly related to the word servant. A servant labors for somebody else. A servant serves. A servant gives time and effort and energy. This word yoke fellow, right, that... That has to do with, think, think of two oxen yoked together with a, you know, the big wooden yoke that goes over each of their necks and holds them together. When you have two of them yoked together, you multiply the effort. Uh, I was doing a little bit of research just because I was interested. Uh, an ox can, pot, it can weigh up to like 3,000 pounds itself. It's said that they can, they can pull at least their own weight. So maybe even up to twice their own weight. So if it weighs up to 3,000 and can pull 6,000, two of them together can pull over 20,000. If you do the math, that's multiplication, not, not addition, right? If one can pull six, two should be able to pull 12. The record is like 26,000 pounds for, for two full-grown, well-trained, equally yoked. There's some lessons in there oxen, right? It's pretty impressive. Paul's talking about these yoke fellows who when we get to work together, man is God's work multiplied, right? Think about getting together with, with somebody who's in agreement, who's, who's unified with you, and you're heading in the same direction, and you just happen to be heading in the same direction with the Lord, you're also yoked with him, and, and there's nothing you can't accomplish that he wants you to accomplish, if he's the one doing the work. So it's just a, a, a really cool picture there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, for, ye, or for we are laborers 
together. We're servants together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. So if we're yoked together with the Lord and each other, man, look out. There's, there's going to be some awesome work getting done. So Paul knew that Timothy was all, what, what Timothy was all about because he discipled him. He taught him everything that he knows. He, he's recreated himself or he's reproduced himself in the life of Timothy. He could send Timothy and it would be just as though he went himself. But for some reason or other, he couldn't go. So instead of sending his son, he sends a brother, Epaphroditus. Okay, and then the, so that's point two. We're going to look at Epaphroditus here real quick. And this is spiritual brotherhood. We saw spiritual fatherhood, which was a, a picture of discipleship. Spiritual brotherhood is a, is a clear example of fellowship. Right? We're just here for the fellowship. I haven't heard that for a while. So, so the first thing that, yeah, so the first thing that Paul says about Epaphroditus is that he's his brother. Obviously, again, not his physical brother. They don't have the same mom or dad or both. They have the same heavenly father. 2 Corinthians 8.22 says, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Man, it's not just that this is another guy who knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. This is a trustworthy guy that I would send in my place. This is a brother. This is somebody who I know is, is going to care for you. I know he's going to treat you like family because he treats me like family. And I, you know, any friend of mine is going to be a friend of his kind of thing. Philemon, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. So I thought Timothy was his son. Well, he's not Philemon's son. He's talking to another person about Timothy, and he's saying he's our brother. We can trust him. He, he's, he's family, man. We're close. Letter B, uh, Frodo is a companion in labor. He's a companion in labor. And this is similar to what we saw above with, with Timothy being a servant. Uh, Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men, a companion with wise men, shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So who are your companions? Paul says this guy's a companion in labor. This, this, guy, this guy can work. LT's not in here. LT's a hard-working dude. He's over actually working, watching my kids right now. That's who I think of when I think of a, a companion in labor. Dimples. <laughs> Revelation 1.9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Man, when you go through something with somebody that's tribulation, you, you come out brothers, right? I've, I've got family who've, who've been in the military, who've been in the Marines and went to war, and, and those, those are their brothers for, for life. They've been through the worst things any of them have ever experienced, and they've been through them together, and now they've got a bond, right? John's calling himself a, a companion in tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 3.2, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. 
to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. Man, there's something about working together for the only cause that truly matters for all of eternity that's going to unite you with brothers and sisters in Christ. Matthew 9, 37 and 38 says, Then saith he to, unto his disciples, this is Jesus, he said, the, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. People who really want to get down and get the work done, those guys are hard to find. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The reason Epaphroditus was so easy of a choice for Paul to send in Timothy's place or his own place was because, man, this guy works. And it's hard to find a hard worker, specifically a hard worker for the gospel. We found a gem here, and he's willing to, to labor, so I'm willing to send him. The next thing that he says about him is that he's a fellow soldier. We just talked about the military. We see this term used in the, the letter to Philemon again, when uh, Paul's describing a couple of people. He, he calls Archippus a fellow soldier. Uh, Second Timothy, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, he says, Thou therefore, the, you know, Paul talking to Timothy again, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the, with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So a fellow soldier, by definition of 2 Timothy chapter 2, is one that endures the hardness of life. Giving the gospel, right? It's one that doesn't get caught up in the cares of this life, distracting from the gospel. It's, it's someone who's motivated to please his commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's calling Timothy to. He's saying, hey, look, man, we're, we're in a war here. And if you're going to be all about this, we're going to be fellow soldiers, and we're going to battle for the winning side. The fourth thing that we see that he calls Epaphroditus is a messenger. You know, He could be a messenger to and from God to people, to and from Paul and the Philippians. The only thing that really matters is that he's got the right message. Right, 2 Corinthians 8.23, Whether any do inquire of, of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you or our brethren uh, be inquired of. Uh, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Right, th he's talking about these fellow helpers who, who are sending messages back and forth, and they're also sending messages about the glory of Christ. They're sharing the gospel as they go. Proverbs 25, 13 says, as, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refresheth the soul of his masters. Man, a faithful messenger is a refresher of souls. Somebody who's, who's going to carry the right message, who's going to carry it all the way. And, and even to his own harm, we saw that Epaphroditus was willing to carry the message, even if it cost him his life. And then the last thing that he says about him is, is that he's a minister. And again, this is another way of saving, saying servant. Romans 15, 16 says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The servant of Jesus Christ toward the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God. 
right? Serving the Gentiles the gospel of God so that they can be saved, so that they can live a life with Christ forever. He says that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Colossians 4.11 says, In Jesus, which is called justice, this is an individual person, not Christ, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Paul's saying these, these individuals, they, they ministered unto me. They served me. They made sure that, that I was comforted in hard times. So, I don't know, we've, we've cut a covered a lot of verses, and there's been a lot of fellows in here. I don't know if you pick up on this. There's been some fellowship, some fellow laborers, fellow workers, fellow helpers, fellow soldiers, right? There's a whole lot of fellows. We're here for the fellowship, but it's not just a fellows club. This is a family. Right? This is an issue of family. It's, it's father and son. It's, it's mother and daughter. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. See, it's, it's different. It's different than your family at home. 2 Corinthians 8, 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Right, he's saying, take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. If you want to be a part of the fellowship, it requires service, right? You get in by giving your life to Christ and you've automatically become connected to your brothers and sisters in Christ. To, to stay united, to become united, to be, to be able to see things as one, to be on the same page requires service and sacrifice and humility. We've seen that over and over in this chapter. So in conclusion, we'll... We'll read the last three verses here in a second, but Paul loved the church that he started in Philippi. His desire was that if he could get out of prison, he wanted to get back there. He wanted to make sure that they were okay. He wanted to make sure that they were growing, that they were still doing the things that he, he charged them to do when he left. They couldn't get there. If he couldn't make it, the, the next best thing was his son in the faith, Timothy. some reason, he couldn't. So Paul placed his trust and his letter in the hands of Epaphroditus, a man who had displayed a self-sacrificing love for Christ, for the church, for Paul and the gospel. He says in verse 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully, because, well, last time it almost cost his life, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. So apparently the, the church had gotten word that, that this man was ill and they were concerned about his health. They would rejoice to see him healthy again, to see him in person, see he was okay. Paul would be less sorrowful because he knew that Epaphroditus would stop at nothing to get that message to hit this church. He's going to stop at nothing to get it there. He's going to stop at nothing to minister to them. He's going to stop at nothing to build them up and edify the church. He's sorrowful that he can't see them himself, but it would pacify that sorrow some if he knew Epaphroditus was going to see them in his place because he knew the character of the man he was sending. So I don't know how your family operates. I talked about mine, you know, my three brothers, and, and we grew up competing for position, for attention, for food, 
You know, my oldest brother, I, I talked about him. He was the biggest, so he was alpha male most of my childhood, and he would beat us up just because he could. And his friends would come over, and they would beat us up just because they could. And my mom likes to, my mom likes to tell this story. I'll, I'll tell it. I like it too, but it sounds funny. But anyways, my oldest brother beat me up over and over and over again. And we got along a lot too. It wasn't just that, but the last time it happened, I was a junior in high school. And it never happened again. Because I put him on his head. There was a new alpha male in town. I was not tougher than anybody else in town. Just my brother. And so the fights were over. And the bullying was done. But I don't know about you and you never seen him since. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> no, I, I would try to pick fights, and, and it just didn't happen anymore. He stopped growing, and I kept growing. I was full of teenage stupidity and anger, and he's fine. He's just older. Older than me, even. I mean, believe that. Yeah. God is saying, you know, your household may have been as though you were raised by wolves, jockeying for position, scrapping to take everything that you can get from each other, right? But that's not how God's family operates. That's how this world operates. That's how business operates. That's how everybody out there believes you need to, you need to climb all over everybody else if you're ever going to get to the top. God says my family doesn't work that way. Verse 29 says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. In the church, in God's family, you don't fight and destroy others for position. You fight and destroy self. It's a battle against you. Because what comes natural is to do for me. What comes natural is to take. What God's family does is give. And that's what we're called to. We're, we're not ever, if you ever read your Bible and believe that God is calling you to defend your own name and your own honor, I don't know what, what passage you stumble upon, but somebody put something extra in your Bible because self-defense is wonderful in karate, but it doesn't belong in Christianity. Self-defense is okay on the street, but it has nothing, it has no place in God's family. It's, it's the defense of his name, and, and he's perfectly capable of defending his own name, but, but my name is Christian. It's not Matt. It's not Rockstar. None of that stuff matters. Right? My name does not matter. His name matters. Right? And, and my family matters. Because they're the ones that he loves. They're the ones that he died and bled out for. You guys matter, not me. And that's the attitude we all need to have. And that's why Paul said, man, I, I could send Timothy because he would die for you guys. You know why I know he would die for you guys? Because I'd die for you guys. I got bloodied and beat up just to get you the gospel in the first place. They threw me in prison and God broke me out. I'd do it again for you guys. Timothy would do it again for you guys. Epaphroditus would do it for you guys. That's why I can send those, 
That's why I know they'll go and they'll edify you. They'll build you up. They'll hold you accountable to what God says. And they'll make sure that the hopes and joys, my passion for you is that you will be unified. You'll be unified on the truth and you'll be unified in humility. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for just the awesome examples that Paul had. He was talking about humility and service and having the mind of a servant and having the mind of Christ. And, and just in case they couldn't understand how to apply that to their lives, he said, look, there's this guy and there's this other guy. They're the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those types of examples for each other. You would help us to, to be able to die to self, to be able to put others first, to be able to, to be fellow servants and fellow helpers and fellow laborers and fellow soldiers so that the fellowship we have is a family like nobody's ever had before. That's awesome. I know a lot of people in here have great families. And we joke about getting along and not getting along, but there's just something different about what you've called us to. It's more important. My brothers and sisters are more important than my needs. Your name is more important than mine. And Lord, I pray that we would all just get that and own that personally and start living that out because once we start doing that, Lord, we know that that you're going to use us in incredible ways because we've gotten out of the way for you to do the work. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name and, and pray also that this song is uh, glorifying to your name. In Christ's name, amen.